totally at the World Cup. Oh, don't be a bad loser, English. Admit I scared you, Russian. Unbelievable, unbelievable this. Day 28, pack up your memes and lightning seeds there, going home to the attic, England are out of the World Cup. A game that began so brightly, ending in despair, like Monopoly with the relatives at Christmas. Now he cannot stop. And it's Croatia who returned to the Luzhniki this Sunday to face France in the final. How, why, who, which, where and when, all the key questions coming up with one or two answers as well, on Totally at the World Cup. It's been a World Cup like no other. A month of promise and pride. A long, hot summer ready to lift England up where they belong on inflatable unicorns. Trippier's out through it. Maguire Kane has stolen it at the death. That's what he's there for. A pile of English joy. South Bay, Wednesday, it ended. England 1, Croatia 2, the verdict on the Luzhniki scoreboard. An ending, but also a beginning. It's headed away. Croatia can run away. Croatia reaches the World Cup final for the very first time. And after all that effort, all that energy, the ghost of 66 lives on for England. Well, to pick over all of that, listener, Carl Anker. Hello. David Priest. Hello. And James Horncastle. Hello there. First off, lads, why the long faces? <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually sat here with a glass of champagne. Courtesy of Carl. Yeah. yeah. To yeah. Gareth. To Gareth. Yeah. Genuinely, to, to Gareth. Uh, apologies if my voice gets a bit wobbly or if I tear up a little bit, but uh, this is unknown territory for me as a football fan. I've never seen... England play in a semi-final of a major tournament. I'm a wee millennial baby, so I don't have particular memories of Euro 96 and Italian 90 was before I was born. So You've known disappointment, just not crushing disappointment like this. This isn't disappointment. This is an entirely different feeling. Mm. And this is why I am having uh, a unique response, because this is a very unique scenario. I've, I've never, one, ever believed in England side as much as I've ever believed in this England side. Mm. I've never seen England play with confidence and panache and and the degree of which they were so streetwise in the first half of this game. And I've never seen England lose in a fashion that genuinely isn't disappointing. We lost and I'm I'm still so happy and so proud and that's why we sort of have champagne. England fans, I think, right now have have just been rest from from the middle of a particularly pleasant dream. Mm. It's a very sudden awakening. 
And I think a lot of things that we're feeling are probably going to evaporate. And I'm not sure if that feeling of not being disappointed is, is, is going to be one of the things that persists, David. Yeah, I, I disagree slightly because, I mean, it's... It, there's so much positivity come from this, uh, just, not just from the players and from the, the staff and Gareth Southgate. Later on, I'll probably think differently about it and and, and realise what they have achieved and, and how far they've come and the, the future, uh, the, the promise that the future holds for, mm. for English football. But at this moment in time, it was that first 45 minutes, we were comfortable, we were, we were dominant. A couple of desperate clearances and uh, defensive actions, but apart from that, there was, there was nothing from Croatia. Well, we'll, we'll look back through the action very shortly, and, and, and listener, if you're a Croatia fan, we'll, we'll get onto your team shortly as well. But James Horncastle, top four in the world, England, mm. playing in a positive fashion, behaving in a positive fashion, it remains a superb World Cup. Yeah, without doubt. Um, at least they didn't go out on penalties. Um, you know, I, I think. In, <laughs> no, I think that was a, a major breakthrough um, for 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 England, um, not only as a team but as a as a fan base. We'll always have that shooter. Um, and uh, I think this team leaves this tournament with a lot of positive memories, and none of the the baggage that has held other England teams back. I think they they'll go into other major tournaments and want to recreate the kind of mood and environment that they had in this one and uh, I think they've overachieved um, regardless what people make about um, being on the easy side of the draw and the fact that yeah, the teams that they've played are certainly more favourable than coming up against Germany or Brazil or well, the two, the two sizeable teams in terms of international standing that they face they've lost both games Belgium and now Croatia mm. so, so there is that yeah but I, I think again I mean if we we zoom in on, on the game that first half does feel like a missed opportunity right. because mm. well let's look back then shall we should go wobbly screen <laughs> all the way back to the start of the match and barely a couple of minutes in your old pal what did they used to call him there at Barnsley uh, Stewie from uh, Stewie Family Guy, yeah. <laughs> Stewie, <Harry. laughs> yeah. And he, I mean, I thought he looked like a den, but I've seen pictures of him when he's about 12, 13 years old, and he's a spitting image of him. <laughs> he's a spitting image. Kieran Trippier, for it was he, five minutes in, was it? Steps up the free kick and does this. Four white shirts in the wall. It's Kieran Trippier. He's in! Mark away to grab your first goal for England, and I think Spurs fans were saying they'd never seen him take a free kick like that either. Yeah, but he's probably just a few, few down the queue with Spurs. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people in front of him waiting to take free kicks, and, and probably just as accomplished as he has. But well, uh, time I spent with him at Barnsley, he was you know his crossing's well known to be to be you know his main asset, and his delivery is brilliant. But um, free kicks as well. You know, I've seen him score free kicks at, at Ellen Road in front of a. No, nearly full house against Leeds United, and, it, and it's it's something that you know that he's well capable of. And it was a brilliant free kick, flat over the wall, lots of pace on it. Obviously, questions about Subasic. Whether Were there, though? From my point of view, it, it was because it didn't look like um, you know there's a question mark about his fitness. He didn't look like he he powered at 100 percent and fully committed to the dive. But having said that, you know I, I still agree that it would have taken some save to stop it. You know, it's almost like he gave up on it because it was already past him. Right, that was the first goal scored by an England player from a direct free kick since David Beckham's against Ecuador in 2006. Oh. And th this was the reaction in Hyde Park. <laughs> you probably saw that. It looked like... Do you know the, the Las Vegas when they do that outside the... Uh, 
Yes. The, the Bellagio. The Bellagio, the yeah. Of but but with beer, basically. <laughs> um, David, you're not a fan of that kind of behaviour, are you? I detest it. All right. James. All right. Why, what, is your, what is your point of contention with that? It's a waste of beer. Okay. It's a waste not, of uh, expensive beer. When, if you're in Hyde Park, you're spending six quid on a pint. When I, when I celebrate a goal, I don't throw my drink up in the air. When I celebrate anything, I don't throw my drink up in the air. Who does that? All right. Perhaps the bigger <laughs> problem, though, David, was the fact that that happened in the fifth minute. And after that, England did not have a single shot on target. Now, the first half, James, you were almost ironically saying, oh, I'm a bit worried about these missed chances. We were almost pretending to be nervous because England looked so comfortable. But it turned out that that was a genuine problem. Why was England not able to create another genuine chance? Well, look at those the two chances in particular that they had to double their lead. Um, the one where, where Kane should really square it to Sterling, doesn't, and it comes to nothing. Lingard at once had all the time in the world on the edge of the penalty area. And again, I can maybe made the wrong decision um, there. Look, I mean, at the end of the first half, we had the ITV, the pundits in the ITV studio saying that uh, this this Croatia team is terrible. They've uh, they've run uh, Lovren and Vida ragged, and at that stage, it did not feel in doubt. And yeah. then in the second half, um, I thought the England's wing backs, particularly Ashley Young, tired. Um, I think one of the surprises of the match, given he went off injured in the in the quarterfinal against Russia, was. Um, Simi Vishalko, yeah. the, the Croatia right-back, who kept getting in behind, kept whipping in crosses. The, the ability of both of um, Croatia's fullbacks to get forward allowed Perisic in particular to come inside and almost play as a, a second striker, centre-forward, next to Mandzukic. And Perisic had a spell of 10 or 15 minutes where he looked like he could do all kinds of damage. So what, what was behind that? England had been the dominant side without creating too many actual chances and then all of a sudden Croatia had 20 minutes when it was just chance after chance for them what what had happened why why was England suddenly caught cold like that it's it's just pressure and momentum there is I don't think there's an optostat for it but there is a sensation you get when you are on a team that is dealing with sustained pressure for a while and once you get past the 10 minute 20 minute mark you go oh wait that's all they can do to us and we can still repel Let's march him back down and go. Right. And, and this, this first half was, was phenomenal. Harry Kane had been dropping quite deep in knockout games. Um, he was pretty much a number 10 quasi-centre midfielder with Henderson. And the plan was, it looked as if Kane's going to drop deep, do lovely diagonal balls to Raheem Sterling. Sterling's going to just give Croatia's centre-backs the burners and hopefully it'll score, which looked great. You know, the plan is use Sterling space, get round these really big centre-backs, score, and when Sterling gets tied, you bring on Marcus Rashford or Jamie right. Vardy and do whatever. I but think the problem was Carl, though, because once Raheem went off, England didn't have an out ball yeah. and they couldn't get out. Um, and Harry Kane couldn't hold the ball up and relieve some of that pressure. But and isn't that meant to be one of the things that Kane can do, that yeah. Kane is good at? Mm. He wasn't able to do it. He not looked, on this occasion. He, he looked tired. It feels a bit like a sort of a heavyweight boxing match where the plan is I'm going to put you down in six rounds and you get to the seventh and then you, you, you're oh god no did Dalic do something did Croatia we're talking about what England didn't do but what did Croatia do to get to get a foothold back in this game yeah they've they went more to a, a, a real classic 4-3-3 and, they, and they've pushed like James said pushed Perisic and, uh, and Rebic on and this, they took slightly inside sometimes so push us back to a five and it gives a lot of space for the, their full backs to come in and enjoy for me I, when when Sterling came, came off and, and Rashford came on I thought well yeah it's kind of brave because it would have been obvious 
to bring Dyer on, based in front of the, the back five. But, you know, it's, it's hindsight now thinking that's what he should have done. Henderson was being overrun. But just to replace somebody who's been overrun with somebody else is just going to be overrun rather than pairing them up together. That might have been a better tactic. And uh, like I said, uh, th- things have changed and maybe it was a more positive uh, change to to think, OK, well, I'll bring somebody on who can try and, and try and sort of push them back as well. What prompted the Sterling substitution, though, I imagine, was the fact that in the meantime, Croatia had made their pressure tell through Perisic. What a cross and it's turned in! A little bit like the Columbia game after conceding, England were, were completely lost it. Is that fair? I think England had lost it for a 10-minute period before the goal. And five minutes into that period, I think perhaps we should have been a bit more streetwise, realised what was going on and then made a substitution. Then you get the goal. Then you get, then we make the substitution. Then Perisic very nearly scores again. Perisic! Perisic with the shimmy and the shot! Played back in to pick for Duholt. Ivan Perisic is causing mayhem. <sighs> yeah, hit the post. Heart in mouth. I mean, one of the issues, I guess, is that if you score your goals through set pieces and you, you don't actually Absolutely. win any and, and, until, you know, right at the death, and maybe that limits your, your ability. As it, as, it, as it was, it went to extra time then. Stones had that header. Whenever it comes towards Stones. Brilliant header off the line. Oh. Who cleared that off the Vesalco. line? Again, mm. yeah. I mean, he had a blinding game, um, but yeah, that uh, that is exactly it, James. Is that um, I think, yeah, you know, in the second half, um, had to wait until really the the dying embers of it to get another corner. Actually, started the first half of extra time pretty well mm-hmm. and looked like um, England were getting on top of it again, and um, the the men- momentum was turning. Um, but then it then it then it came to nothing. It fizzled out, mm. and um, you have to say Croatia. Croatia thoroughly deserved it, and uh, Manzukic again, just an absolute warrior. Who, he plays uh, fantastic post play. Uh, like he's very much in the basketball sense a post player. So um, his trick is he's six foot four, six foot something, whatever. So what happens is when crosses come in, he hangs around back post, where he normally just has a slightly shorter back. fullback. And his thing is either I'm going to beat you on the header or they attack the ball, or I can just knock it down for someone else yeah we, we are, I think we, we have to sort of give uh, Croatia a bit of credit as well oh, a, sure. a, a lot of credit simply because even towards the end they, they were forcing England to play longer balls and, mm. and that's not and, and that was 2016 England football you know it was hopeful up to up to Rashford who's not the greatest in the air it was hopeful up to Kane and even near the end they pushed too further forward even Modric before he came out before he came off he was pushed forward Onto England's back three, so there was there was a, they had an overload in defence mm. when that doesn't you know it's not going to hurt anybody that they needed that in midfield. Right, Manzukic. Well, basically, it's the post and Pickford that's keeping England in it at this point until 108 minutes when Manzukic puts Croatia finally into the lead. Well, many lessons for England to learn. We'll draw some of our own conclusions very shortly. Right now, though, let's hear from our friend Rory Smith of the New York Times, who was there Wednesday night in the Lushniki. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. 
Rory, first of all, what's been the atmosphere post-game? Uh, it's been very good, to be honest. You can probably still hear some Croatian fans singing uh, to my left. Uh, they are also just noticed brandishing a Scottish flag. I'm imagining those people are not Croatian. Uh, and to my right, there is a sort of band of a couple of hundred England fans still singing as well, appreciating the efforts of their team. There's been no sense of recrimination, no bitterness, no, there's no villain here. Uh, Croatian delight, English pride, I would say. Right. It is a remarkable Croatian team, this. The first side to go through three uh, straight sets of extra time since, uh, well, England did in 1990. Uh, indeed, and obviously this this set of extra time has taken Croatia a little bit further than England made it in 1990. What stands out about this Croatia team and what I think made the difference tonight is they have three players of the absolute utmost class in terms of not just their ability but their experience. Obviously Modric is their, is their star and is probably the best midfielder on the planet. He's won four Champions Leagues with Real Madrid. Even Rakitic, I think, has won one with Barcelona. And Mario Mandzukic, who you maybe wouldn't associate with being in that class, has won one Champions League with Bayern and played in two more finals with Juventus. They are big game players and they, they delivered. That's what got Croatia through. That's what wrestled control back from England after that brilliant start from England. And that's what saw them, saw them kind of take control of the game and eventually end it looking like the only team that could win it in open play rather than on penalties. There apparently was a, a noble attempt by England to try and score an equaliser after Mandzukic had uh, nabbed that goal in extra time while the Croatians were all off celebrating. Did you see that? Yes. I, I noticed something happening. Obviously, every, there was a lot happening after that, after that goal because Mario Mandzukic uh, kind of fell on top of a photographer and then the rest of the Croatian team followed. So there was kind of a lot to, there was a lot to take track of. But we had that those couple of incidents earlier in the tournament, it seems like a lifetime ago, uh, when, when teams seemed to think that if all of the opposition were off the pitch, they were allowed to kick off. I'm not sure of the legality of that. And I think Tunet Shakir put a stop to England's nefariousness. But, you know, it's England. They wouldn't have wanted to win that way. They would have wanted to win honourably, not through some sort of underhanded tactic, I'm certain. Yeah, I, I'm pretty certain of that as well. As, as you say, Rory, there's no villain here. And yet, was there not a kind of creeping sensation there in the press box at the Luzhniki as the minutes wore by and England didn't seem to have any kind of answer to the growing pressure from Croatia that, that maybe we needed some fresh ideas from the bench? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, and it'll, in the in the kind of in the analysis that will follow, I'm sure that that will be something that's that's, that's sort of picked over and and, put, and poured over. It struck me after about half an hour there was a, you sort of watched watching the game and going through Twitter at the same time to make sure you're thinking the right thing. Kind of the view I was getting from Twitter wasn't the same as as what I thought I was watching. It looked to me after about 30 minutes that Croatia started to get a little foothold in the game. Modric was finding pockets of space. England was sinking back a bit. It seemed to be that everyone was saying, oh, England have been brilliant, they're totally in control. And I, I sort of thought, well, hang on, you've got, you've got a team with some quite good players on it here. Don't let, them, kind of don't, let, don't let them find a way back. And in the second half, Croatia were just a level above England. They, they, they obviously got the equaliser through Perisic when, when England fell asleep for a second. But after that, the Croats were all over England and Perisic at the post, Perisic missed an open goal, Ante Rebic missed a good chance, Mandzukic missed a good chance, then in extra time, the chances were all for Croatia. And England didn't really seem to be able to change anything. The same thing happened against Colombia in the last 16. Obviously there, they got away with it. But there wasn't that, whether it's the depth or whether it's the, 
the variety of player that you need or whether it's it's the kind of dynamism from the coach I'm not sure it showed to an extent how far England still have to go but that isn't the same as, as saying this is a failure or a disappointment or a letdown England, England have done amazingly well to get here they've just been beaten by a team that has players of a quality that that maybe only Harry Kane in the England team, who was very disappointing tonight, that maybe only Kane can, can match. There is no Modric, there's no Rakitic. And that's, that, I think, was the difference. Listeners, we're down to the business end of the World Cup. And while we give you the game-by-game analysis for a broader cultural and sociological view of the key narratives from Russia and elsewhere, check out the current series of the Game of Our Lives podcast. Join host David Goldblatt as he explores issues such as the tensions between Russia and FIFA, how presidential and governmental politics across the world are intertwined with the greatest sporting tournament on earth, and with the likes of Germany, Spain and Argentina having exited the tournament early and Italy and Holland never having qualified in the first place, how this has truly been the World Cup of the underdog. Search for The Game of Our Lives with David Goldblatt wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now. Rory Smith of the New York Times. David, some time has passed. What's, what's your big takeaway then from Wednesday night? My takeaway is the same as what it would have been if we got beat off Sweden, as if we got beat off Colombia. There's been enough there before all of those games and, and certainly before this one. It, there's lots to look forward to. There is a real sort of... Uh, there's a real change in, in, uh, in English football and I think that's... It's uh, it, it's not just about Gareth Southgate. It, it, of course, he's added to that. He's been a piece of the jigsaw, but everything was all all in the background before this. And well, he, the under seventeens, yeah, the under nineteens, of, of course. And um, I spent a little bit of time at St George's Park um, two months ago, and with the under twenty ones and with the, the the full side as well. And just talking to people around it, it was it, they were just waiting for something to happen and. As much as um, Gareth Southgate is, is is being a revelation, really, in sort of the, the way that he's he's come across and he's he's made people like England again, uh, as much as the players have, it's, it's been down to him. But it, it was it just felt that whether it's luck or not, or whether it was fate that Sam Allardyce was removed from his job and Gareth Southgate replaced him, it just felt like he was the, uh, a better or a more right part of the jigsaw to fit into what was happening behind the scenes and, and everything that was going on with the Dan Ashworth set-up. It's, um, it needed him to be there for, for it all to come to fruition. And I think it's, it's been great that we haven't got a big figurehead, not a Capello or a, or a Sam Allardyce. Even though I know a big Sam, he, he, he wouldn't have been too opposed to a lot of the stuff that they were they're trying to do there but we don't have to worry about um, what the the head coach might do or the manager might do because we know that he's always you know he's in sync with everyone else as well mm. and 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 out of this you know we, we we certainly I think we've been guilty in the, in the past of becoming uh, some a team or a country that's always looking to a tournament ahead thinking that um, we, we need to play players now and then we'll be alright next tournament next tournament instead of realising what's happening now uh-huh. we, we've we've capitalised on what we've got now but also it's great for the future as well and People like Jordan Pickford just just coming forward now and it's, it's a national team forged in Sunderland in, in many ways. And that's what happens it is. when we learn to score goals from open play. Oof. Oof. It's remarkable when you looked at when, when we looked at the at the at the score going into this World Cup, we didn't think that was going to be the problem, Carl. Well, what's your big take from uh, from the World Cup? My big take is the World Cup is an open Oribus. so the snake eating itself. Um, oh yeah, right. So you got the symbol of snake eating itself. 
um, and you can open one when a snake eats itself and also head, sticks its head out a bit further. So when I was here after um, Croatia, Denmark, yeah. uh, I mentioned how the 2018 World Cup had referenced previous 21st century World Cups. Yep. Um, I looked at it a bit further. Yeah. I wrote a lovely article about it. You can find it on Prospect Magazine. And all World Cups reference previous World Cups. Um, so this is a particularly interesting phase because... The World Cup went to 32 nations played in the summer in France 98, and it's going to end 32 nations played in summer with Russia 2018. I thought the next one's also 32 nations. Played in the winter. Oh, I see. Right, yes. okay. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, twen- so in that 20 year time frame, yeah. you keep getting uh, champions getting knocked out in the group stages of the next round. Right. You get weird things like uh, so when France played Denmark. Mm-hmm. France played Denmark in the final group stage of both France 98 and Russia 2018. Right. You get weird things like Nigeria played Argentina in the final game of the group stage. in Pretty much in every World Cup. 2014 and 2018. Would you like to know the goal scorers in both of those games for Argentina? Do I have a choice? They're... <laughs> Not really. It's it's Lionel Messi Is and it? Marcus Rojo again. Okay. Um, you so also had. Fi- I don't know if this, does this fit in uh, insect weird insect stuff. You had the James uh, Rodriguez oh, one. Yeah. Yes. And and Hugo Lloris eating a moth. Yes. Damn. Um, and something particularly interesting is because of this twenty year gap, you have players who were either very very young or heard stories of France ninety eight. Right. Inadvertently replaying those things that happened in France in 2018. Yeah. So there's things about Ivan Rakitic talking about how when he was a child, he was given a Croatia 98 shirt and he deeply adores that shirt. Um, And now he's going to go off playing Russia 2018. He's going to play a France side much like the Croatia side did in 1998. He gets to live out his hero, Slavon Bilic. It's like Westworld World Cup. It's like happening at different times, all at the same. And who is what? I don't know. The World Cup is Westworld, but with sports. But with sport, right. James? My big conclusion would be that if England are to get to a World Cup final any time in the near future, they need to have a player who's playing for Inter. Exactly. And why? Because Inter have had a player in the World Cup final in every World Cup final since 1982. Yeah. Or they could have one from Bayern. From Bayern. Bayern have as well. Isn't that amazing, though? I mean, Bayern, yeah, but Inter? Yeah. Seriously. Extraordinary run, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Perisic and Brozovic. David, what about this this kind of bout of latent old Englandness that crept into Gareth Southgate's side as that semi-final wore on? They'd looked so confident, so casual, so composed, and then suddenly the fear crept back in. They were right to look confident and composed because they'd been like that all through the tournament. And, and even when, like Rory alluded to earlier on, that about 25 minutes, half an hour into the game, they did start to creep into the game. And we did sort of retreat a little bit but it, it felt like we were in control we were allowing them we were giving them that territory but yet that we were we were stopping them at the uh, at the edge of the box the second half was different from that and like i said before about the croatia putting pressure on they were moved far higher up the pitch and positioned themselves a lot better so it was it was so much more difficult for us to play through the lines mm. and uh and one of one of those things was also going back to Jordan Pickford where initially when the ball goes back to him they sit off a little bit so he can't play that that pass that beats the first line of uh, the press they let let him pass the first one short and then they go forward again so it was more to do with their their intelligence mm. and the way that they changed as much as it was for us having to, to go forward very directly. This Dalage fellow, who doesn't exactly come with a massive coaching pedigree, he was he spent the last three years in the in the Emirates. Done pretty well. Oh, yeah, and then some. I mean, uh, some of my Italian colleagues were saying that, uh, wow, if only their FA had had the courage to sack their manager 
uh, what in the penultimate game of the qualifiers and bring someone in who could just re-energize um, the team. And uh, and that's what he did, you know, not only in, in getting this team to a final. Unbelievable. A country of four and a half million people. Mm. Um, I think the smallest nation um, to get this far since Uruguay in 1950, uh, when you had the American Atso. Um So, you know, maybe we'll see another another upset because, to be honest, you probably have to go back all those years to find the last time we really had a a shock in in a World Cup final. So yeah, th- this would be I think a, a true shock um, if if Croatia were to to do this. Um, it's you know because it's become the realm of just a few nations really um, mm. winning this World Cup. We thought it was England that were going to do a Leicester, but maybe. Mm. That's Croatia's role in all of this. Astonishing mental strength, lots of people are saying about them. Physically, to go through the pressure of back-to-back extra times and penalties. And and they went behind tonight. And and to come back from behind on this. But what comes with that is belief as well. Mm -hmm. It gives you a belief that it's either, you know, this is your year or you've got... uh, It doesn't matter how long the game goes on. You know, you've been through this twice before. You can come through it again. And that belief that eventually you, you are going to win that's going to shine through even in the performance in extra time. I mean, Rory mentioned the experience the, of the players. The experience of players, but particularly that trio of Mandzukic, Rakitic, Modric, it's their last chance. Mm-hmm. You know, these are guys who are in their 30s now. This is, this is it for them. Um, and you wonder how much that plays plays a part as well. Also, Croatia like being the underdog. Slavon Bilic mentioned it. Uh, even Rakitic has mentioned this before in terms of how they're qualifying. They only really switched on in the qualifying playoff where I think they swept aside Greece something like 6-1, and Rakitic and Modric sat in the changing room and went, why can't we play like this always? And Modric was more like, mm, we just we switch it on when we need to switch it on. Um, which is slightly terrifying when a team goes, we switch it on when we need to switch it on. Um, I've been very unconvinced by Didier Deschamps for a long time. Um, I think Daniel Story, who's been on this podcast frequently, has, has, talked to, has described him as an analogue coach in a digital world. This might be another France 98 where France win the final and once again deliver on the story of Black, Blanc, Bleu in terms of a multicultural French nation doing it. Or this might be Croatia going, this is revenge for France 98. And when Laurent Blanc pretty much kung fu'd Salvin Bilic and got him sent off. Yeah. I'm going to be very excited. This Those one. are the options, certainly. We're going to be back, actually, Thursday to do a special preview of France-Croatia because, yes, that is the final. And that third place playoff. And the third place, of course. And probably. The Golden Boot Bonanza. Probably Lukaku that. Lukaku versus and look Harry back Kane. back on some of the great moments of what's been an, uh, an unexpectedly brilliant month uh, in Russia. For now, let's get the odds on the final from Lee Price of Paddy Power. Yeah, I've lost interest in this one, to be honest, now after tonight's result. But France are odds on to win it, and frankly, I hope they do. They're 10 to 11 to win in 90 minutes. Croatia are quite a lengthy 7 to 2 to win the match, and the draw is 5 to 2. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. Be gambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Carl, you're going to be on the telly on Thursday morning, it says here. I will. I'll be on the Victoria Derbyshire show. Uh, oh. I've decided if I'm going to wear a waistcoat or if I'm going to wear another England shirt. And I'll be talking about why this England team feels very special. And I'll try my best not to cry there either. Good for you, Carl. David, you're also on the telly and the radio. I am, yes. I'm never off it these days. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, I'm thankful for. What are you doing? Are you going to be talking football? Uh, I am going to talk about, obviously, the the game tonight and uh, and rugby league. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, nice one. 
All right. And James, you've got a busy schedule as well because uh, we're going to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo who's gone to Juventus oh, in, in a special Golazzo mm-hmm. podcast, which you can find soon. And then, if I'm not mistaken, on Monday, you're off to Turin to meet the great man. Is that right? <laughs> with uh, with hundreds of other media, I think. Yeah, I think Lon- uh, I think Monday is CR7 day. Give, give him my regards, though. <laughs> of <laughs> course. So, uh, we, as I mentioned, we're, we're back uh, on Friday morning with that special show previewing uh, Sunday's final and looking back on the highs and lows of this remarkable tournament. Michael Cox, Daniel Storey and Jack Lang will be with us for that. Uh, Until then, many thanks to David Carr and James and you, listener. Just a few more days of this World Cup to go. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free. Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. But then Beckham boots Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. We here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.